Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Parents on Pictures podcast. My name is Damien. And I'm Andy. And each and every week, what we do is take a film from a streaming platform, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, that sort of thing. And we come in here after watching it and we talk about it and review it. So, Andy, this was my pick this episode. It was indeed, yeah. What have we in store today? So we've been looking at the, uh, the platform, 2019. Um, it... Or is on Netflix, um, distributed through Netflix. Um, it's directed by Gauda Gatzelu Arutu. Oh, uh, excuse my butchering of the Catalan name there. Um, but yeah, a, a sci-fi horror thriller. I mean, I, I really, and we could talk about this in a minute, but I really struggled to categorize it into a genre. Um, yeah, it's um, the, the basic uh, premise, the basic plot is uh, two men wake up in a cell and you find out that that cell is one floor amongst what they believe to be a uh, hundred or so to begin with. They wake up on, on floor 48 and in the middle of every floor is a massive hole for a table and the table descends through the different cells, the different platforms for the prisoners, I would imagine, to feed off of. And that, in a nutshell, is the plot. It's about how these characters deal with the situation they're put into. It's a really basic premise. It is. I think one of the things to really note here is that it's um, been adapted from a stage play. So it started off as a play, um, and I'm, I don't know if the play ever got to stage or not. Um, from what I've read about it, I don't think it got that far. Uh, but the, the whole concept was was a play, and I think you can see that within the mise-en-scene, within the characters, and within all of that. It would fit perfectly on stage. Um, the one thing, and I just want to say before we go any further, we are going to... Uh, cover some spoilers <laughs> with oh, some big ones i would imagine yeah. so if you don't want to um if you if you want to watch this first stop listening now and then come back to it afterwards once you've watched it um because you know, we are going to be talking about some stuff in terms of spoilers um but you, i think you can really see how it started on stage it it has that theatrical look about it and afterwards when, when i found that out i sat there going oh yeah of course that's makes so much sense because you know even the set itself was so static and sane that it, that fits on stage you know that would work very well in that sense i uh, yeah it's there's nothing to it is very plain which from a, a filmmaker standpoint is is brilliant when it comes to uh your budget especially if you have a small one because you can use the same set just change the numbers on the wall and you've got the different platforms. Um, one of the reasons that this film reminds me of a film called The Cube, um, which is back, I think it was 1997 or thereabouts, um, is because they only had, it's a very similar setup. People wake up in a, in a cube room and they travel between the different rooms, but they only had four cubes. So one of the ways that they fooled the audience into thinking, or, or, or making them believe that it was it was bigger than what it actually was. Like it, it was hundreds and hundreds of rooms. Um, was they kept changing the colours of the cubes that they went into, but they actually only had four. And you can see that it's a very similar setup here. It's like mm -hmm. there's a little CGI work when you're looking up through the the tower and down through the tower, just to give you a sheer scope of it. But when you're looking at the actual 
uh, set itself, nothing happens, almost nothing happens outside of these individual rooms. No, that's correct. Um, um, and they're all and I, identical. I looked into that as well because they, they actually only had two rooms when they were filming. Wow. One on top of one another. So for the shots where they're looking up, they're in the bottom room. For the shots they're looking down, they're in the top room. Um, so again, a really creative use of a restricted budget. And this is, and it's worth noting, this was an independent film or is an independent film mm. before Netflix got hold of it. Because although it's on Netflix and Netflix are distributing it, um, it isn't a Netflix film. They didn't fund this. It was, they found yeah. it at a film festival um, and it was then distributed from there. And Netflix do that a lot, which is really cool because they're giving an opportunity for these smaller films yeah. to be seen across a massive audience. And I don't know about obviously your algorithm because that's how Netflix works, but my Facebook and my Netflix, as soon as this was released, it, it was flooded with this film. Yeah. Um, so it, it gives an opportunity for, for small films like this that are winning awards um, to be seen at a much, much wider audience as opposed to this would probably have been released on DVD had it gotten a release at all. And I might have found it a few years later because I was looking for something along these lines. Yeah, and it's the kind of film that you might see being released by um, Canal Plus in Europe mm. uh, or something like that. And um, it's, it's nice that it's got that mainstream release because it's, you know, it's an interesting film in that sense. It's an unusual film. And also with it being... Um, subtitled in English, it was uh, it's in Spanish or Catalan. Or I'm not sure which. Um, but with it being in a foreign language film, I think that for it to have that mainstream release is is really really good. Um, one of my students recommended this to me a couple of weeks ago. She sent me an email saying you need to watch this film, um, and then I added it to my list and didn't think anything of it. And then every day it was creeping up the you know Netflix now do that top ten. Yeah. 10 9 8 7 6 and then you said it and i think it got to six when you said you need to watch it so like great okay we'll watch it um i'm impressed that it's in the top 10 um true i mean even sometimes you, you can you can put this in front of people all day long but they still have to click it especially with everything that there is to watch on netflix and mm -hmm. i think that probably says a lot to netflix's audience because back when it was kind of first being released, one of the reasons I loved Netflix or preferred Netflix to the likes of Amazon Prime was because they seemed to be releasing or buying and distributing films that were grungy or a bit hard to watch or sci-fi that wouldn't normally get an audience. So they were really championing these smaller films. And that's what drew me to Netflix in the first place, and which is one of the reasons why I love um, what they're still doing because they're still championing these small films Absolutely. but people have still got to watch it and yeah the fact that it was in the top 10 was brilliant I thought because yeah. I love this type of film and I, but I think that's great you know for such a for an independent film that's quite unique quite hard to categorize in a genre quite hard to watch in places not not particularly pleasant I think um, you know it's clearly done well and I hope we get to see more from this director um, mm. from this production company because if you know if, if they've got more like this up their sleeve. I think that's you know, really positive, really positive. I, it's, yeah, I, I love to see these types of things come about, especially when they're done so well. And I think because it was such a small scale, they were able to focus on the interaction between the characters because that's all you've got on screen. That's, that's the it. narrative. 
that is the narrative and, yeah. and like i said what we um when we did cargo and we were talking about the fact that you know the characters are what develop the narrative it's the same here you know it really is we're we're looking at two people in a room and that narrative is driving itself there's very occasionally we get um taken out into a flashback um but you know ultimately we are in a room with two people we're flies on a wall listening to those conversations watching those interactions and that's that's fascinating i love it and it it it, it lives and dies on what the characters are doing what they're saying, how they're saying it. It's all about performance because mm -hmm. there's nothing showy here. I mean, there are moments of, of graphic violence, but it's in, in my opinion, it's not overdone. Um, and that would be, again, I've said it before, I think with cargo, if you have a small budget, the easiest thing to do is lean into things like the gore because it's yeah. cheap, it's easy and it grabs your attention. Whilst there were horrific violent scenes mm -hmm. in this really yeah. unsettling i don't think it was overplayed which really helped stay connected to your characters as opposed to being taken out of what they were doing and how they were struggling to survive and just make it a gore fest right yeah no i i agree to an extent i think that there was um moments where they could have toned it down slightly um i think i probably have a bit more of a sensitive disposition than you do um <laughs> But there's a moment where the, the platform, the table's passing through. Uh, and they go past like half a body. It looks like it's been cut in half. At that part, it's like, I don't need to see entrails. I don't need to see no, that's, that's fair. But for me, that, that keyed into something I was thinking previously in the film. Um, because there are lots of instances where um, the characters are... For all intents and purposes, they're relaxing, they're chilling out as best as you can in this situation. You know, he's got his leg dangling over the edge, looking down the hole and stuff like that. And I was like, we'd seen at one point how the platform returns to the surface and the speed in which it does so. Yeah. And that instantly had me thinking, what happens? You know, are we going to see someone get caught? in that yeah. speed um and no you don't see it happen but you see the after effect of now the blood was going down as opposed to up so i can only imagine that that is how somebody met their gruesome end one of the um <laughs> one of the not so friendly um prisoners would have held them in place and allowed the table to come down on top of them <laughs> Um, but it, it was playing on my mind all the time. Every time I saw somebody dangling over that edge, I was like, don't do that. Just don't. There's a moment where um, right at the very end, the, the table's gone down and they've, they've reached that bottom basement part and he's down there with his leg over the edge. Yes. And in my head, I'm like, at what point is it going to fly back up? Because he's about to lose a foot. If it's yes. <laughs> I, absolutely. And I had the same thought at the same time. It's like, oh my goodness. But we can talk about the ending in a bit because it's open to mass interpretation i actually had to go online and read some interviews about how the director wanted that to be interpreted yeah um but we we can we can get to that, all. that sure. yeah um one of the things i thought was interesting was the fact that when so we wake up and we've got our main character a chap called goreng um and he wakes up um in his cell and he's sitting uh, he sits up and opposite him is an older portly gentleman called excuse my pronunciation here uh trimagasi i think there we go trimagasi um and that initially for me they i assumed that they were both prisoners but it turns out that um goreng is not a prisoner no 
he's, he's volunteered. Chosen, yeah, he's chosen to be there. As, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie, my understanding was that he's there to quit smoking. And at the end of six months within this place, he gets some diploma. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the, the quitting smoking is absolutely spot on. And he definitely gets a diploma. I don't know if that was his main motivation. Or as you find out later, there is no smoking allowed in the the. I don't know what you call it. Um, in the pit, they call it actually, wasn't it? Yeah, they they yeah, yeah. it the pit. Um, there's no smoking allowed in the pit. So I don't know if that was just a byproduct of his actions or whether that was his main motivation. If that's his main motivation or one of them, that's a bit of a severe way to quit smoking. But you, you. But he has no idea, that, does he? No. Well, in, in an interview um, before he goes in, the woman who's interviewing him tells him, you can smoke here, but when you're in the pit, you won't be able to smoke in there. Yeah, um, but, but as in he doesn't know that it's as harsh as it is. Like, oh, I see. There's no real, in the flashbacks, when we go back to before him going in, there's no inkling there at all that this is going to be no. a deeply unpleasant experience for him. In fact, the woman who does the interviewing, as you later see, enters yeah. the pit of her own free will. Mm -hmm. She didn't even know what she was sending people in for. And I think oh, she said that she's been doing it for eight years. Mm -hmm. And she had no idea what she was interviewing for. She was just ticking boxes and either approving or not approving people for this place. So I don't think anybody other than those right up top knew what this design was. Yeah. So uh, the film, interesting is when we start the film, we have this really beautiful shot through the kitchen. Do you remember this? I'm so glad you went back to that because I found that imagery so... I, I absolutely loved it. I thought yeah. that the contrast between what they're doing, preparing the food, and obviously where that food ends up was yeah. amazing. And a huge... The, the biggest contrast for me was not necessarily how beautiful it looked, because of course it looked, but you got desserts you couldn't possibly imagine and mm -hmm. all different types of food. But it was the 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 chefs and the sous chefs' yeah. attention to detail. Yeah. It's like they were creating a banquet for the richest people in the yeah, world. Yeah, absolutely. Have you, um, I'm not sure if you're a Wes Anderson fan, but that opening mm. sequence really... You had Wes Anderson just stand over it. That imagery was just stunning, and all of the mise en scène. You know, look at look at the um, uh, the staircases and the ovens they're using. Everything was so intricate and beautiful. Um, it just I didn't know where we were going at this point. Having read the the blurb on Netflix and then having this as my opening sequence, I was going, okay, I'm not sure where this is going. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think part of it is because the very first floor, so you've got floor zero, which is where they set the food, and then it goes down to the first floor. The people in floor zero, they, whilst they're preparing everybody's food, and I don't know if they know how many floors it's going to go through, they're preparing it for floor one and floor one only. The attention to detail, how it's presented, the professionalism behind it, and you know, even the director's gone on record as saying, yes, it's, it's partly a commentary on the class systems that are still prevalent in society today, but it's very um, literal in the sense that every other floor, literally from the second floor down, they are only getting the scraps and the leftovers of that very top floor. So it felt to me that they were preparing, not for however many floors that they, they thought there were, but they were only preparing that food for floor one and everybody else, doesn't matter 
I think just going back to what you were saying there about the whole political thing, I think having read lots of bits and pieces afterwards, um, I think that's a really interesting aspect of this. Um, because I think it does act as an analogy for this, the world we live in today, the capitalist world we live in, where the rich get all of the best stuff at the top. And then as we go down through the stages of society, people get less and less and less and less. And yeah. I think that's a really interesting comment on the world we live in today. Um, and Especially the, in recent times. What exactly. And, you know, we, we're, oh, don't get me started in terms of... Um, so just as a bit of context, today is Thursday, the 2nd of April. Um, and on Thursday, last Thursday, uh, loads of people went outside and were clapping for the NHS. And that's really yeah. wonderful. And we should be clapping for the NHS. Uh, but when the NHS has been so underfunded for so long, oh God, drives me mad. Anyway, hundred percent. And, and you know, just just to stay on that point because it, it does link into the point that we're talking about now. It's like the way that this is literally reflecting reality is those people who are able to do so can get all the food in the supermarkets, although that's been clamped down a lot now. But you've got people potentially with a lot more money than others buying up all of the cheap stuff and then you've got families who are usually budgeting like five to ten pound groceries a week they have no choice but to buy the expensive food because there's no cheap stuff left it's like everybody is sort of just going out, out for themselves so, exactly and, and, that, that and it's what it's the this film just in total because there is a moment isn't there so when um imagri Imagir i don't know how you say her name imagiri I'll have to read it. Uh, da, da, da. I think that's how you say it. Yeah, Imagiri. Imagiri. So the lady who um, is kind of the administrator, um, she voluntarily, get, voluntarily goes into uh, the pit um, and she ends up in the same cell as uh, Trimmer Gassi. Um, and when they're in the cell together, um, she's trying to get the people in the lower levels to set aside food mm. so she has created a plate for them then they are to create a plate for them below and the idea is this kind of socialist movement that as the layers go down the people get food um but it doesn't really work does it because the people who are below are going well no i've been starving for the last yeah. month um actually i've got food now i'm going to gorge on it and there is that that selfishness that that idea and I, th I think we we can see it in society can't we we see it when people what i like to call new money uh people who go and drive around in these massive range rovers and stuff like that and you go well that's gonna pollute the environment yeah well i've got the money i can afford it all right well crack on then <laughs> yeah yeah and this is it's because if there were a a collective understanding of right this is a finite amount of resources that we have and i'm talking about the film here mm. and, and you can you know see how it relates to reality is that we've got a finite amount of resources here if everybody were to only take what they require then everybody would survive and everybody would be able to live now you're going to have a lot of people like diehard capitalists so well that's socialism and it's tried before and then you know it's never worked it's like the reason it's not worked is because even in a socialist society including this one here within the pit it's like yes if everybody from floor 48 let's say divided the food equally to get down to the lower uh, floors you've still got to try and convince the people at the top and it's the same with the socialist society yes 
the you know the, the the community can all band together and you are seeing lots of micro communities banding together in streets and and, and little hubs of their own with what's going on at the moment but you've still got to convince the people at the top and that's the difficulty it's like yeah. even in the socialist society the people who are running how this is going they're hoarding and they're keeping it for themselves and so there's not really been that true socialism the same as here now i'm not necessarily one who said hey we need a socialist society because you know spoiler alert i run my own business but at the same time you've got to look after all the people on the rung of the ladder because you need the people at the bottom to help the people at the top and vice versa yeah absolutely and i'd have to say i was really pleasantly surprised by the film i was expecting a very two-dimensional mm. um you know the the actual i don't think for instance the um the cover that they have on netflix i don't think that does it justice this film i really don't um because this for me was a real solid comment on the world we live in today absolutely brilliant, brilliant. now i I also want to flip it to the um, going deep today. There's a lot of religious connotations in this as well. Now I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here because that's not my uh, ballpark. That's not, not what I'm uh, knowledgeable about, but the imagery and the dialogue is also very key. I think to that kind of um, religious overtone or undertone, I should say in the sense that the main character um, whose name is uh, Goreng, he's constantly referred to, he's referred to by more than one character as the Messiah. I mean, that's right in your face. Um, so that's not exactly subtle. But also they're talking about how you've got the three levels. There are the people at the top, there are the people who are here and the people who are below. And the fact that you can travel between these levels if you try hard enough and everybody believes that salvation is at the top is you're looking for that heaven, that earth, and that hell. And if you want to take it further, then the people in the pit are in purgatory until they decide or they make the decisions either to try and get themselves higher or to mm -hmm. kill their, um, their cellmates whilst they're on the very bottom rungs. But the biggest thing for me was almost an element of the supernatural in the sense that how in the heck does this table work? There are no mechanics, no machinery. It literally just floats between levels, has a mind of its own. Because as you find out, if nobody's alive on that level, it doesn't stop, which is crucial to some of the maths um, that they're trying to do in the film later on. But it has a really supernatural kind of feel to it. And it was just constantly in the back of my mind is like how is this whole thing set up how does it know it's almost like they make the pit and the table a living breathing character in his own uh, I, yeah I, I thought that that for me as someone who doesn't particularly like sci-fi and that kind of supernatural genre that for me was one thing that to start off with when I was watching the film I was thinking about that quite a lot I was like well how does he how does this even work and that's just because that, that's just me. And I think that within 10 minutes, you become very forgiving and you just let it go because oh, the yeah. actual narrative is so much better and, and you, you kind of engage with it so much more. But that, that did for, for a little while, I was thinking about that. It's, um, it's something that certainly just fades into the back of your minds because as you said, it does all become about the characters. There's nothing... Um, 
like they don't keep coming back to it and, and the mechanics of the place and how it works. They don't focus on how any of it works. They're only focusing on what's happening between the characters and what they're attempting to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they birth different goals. So some people want to try and go up to the top, but inevitably um, they, they decide that the best thing actually to do is to ride the table all the way to the bottom. And this is what they're they were talking about in terms of you've got two choices you can either come together as a collective and work together which we see doesn't work time and time again um in the sense that they're not plating up the different rations and the portions so that it reaches the lower levels and so what they have to do is like they come to the conclusion okay right let's ride this table to the bottom anybody who's going to feed off this table will take only what they eat or what you know what they have to have um and leave the rest yeah. or will kill them basically. Um, and so you've, again, you've got your differences between uh, your diplomatic way or ruling with an iron fist. It's like, you will do what you're told. Yeah. But ultimately the, the problem is that you can only convince the people below you. You cannot convince the people at the top because you've got no way of getting there. Yeah. So there, there's a moment um, when um, Gorang is, is first in the cell with Imagiri um, and she's trying to convince the people below to um, have their share. And she does mm. this for a few days to no avail. And he stands up and he says something along the lines of, uh, if you don't plate it to one side, I'm going to shit in your food. <laughs> yep. And he says, I'm going to smear every last morsel with it. And, you, and all of a sudden, those guys start plating their food because they yeah. know being below that there's nothing they can do to stop him. But the people above, and I think he says, and like she says, well, how are we going to get the people above? He says, we can't do that because I can't shit upwards. Yes. And that's a <laughs> great line. And there's, it's such a, a key point though, because yeah, okay, being at the top of his level, he can influence those below him, but he can't influence those above him. No. And let's talk about the levels for a moment. So I, for the first few minutes of the film, actually for quite a while i was trying to figure out how the levels worked and i was like okay cool so level zero must be at the bottom and you know all the way but no it's flipped on its head level zero is right at the top um and after each and every month you are knocked out by what we assume gas mm -hmm. and you are moved level but if you and your uh cellmate survive you're moved with your cellmate yeah. which i think is quite interesting because it means that you've got time to develop a relationship and we get to see how those relationships crumble as you get to the lower levels which is really cool because as is established when you get to about level 50 level 51 there's no food left because everybody from level 1 to 50 has eaten it all and we find out through um we find out through Goreng's first cellmate uh, Trimagazi that he's been as low as no, I didn't write this down. I wish I had. I think it was at a hundred and thirty or something. Right. Yeah. Around about a hundred, a level one hundred and thirty is like there's no food down there. And this is the point where you get to, or, or you you find out that you can bring in any item, one item that you want. And our main character Goring brings in a book, which I think is a testament to how he has no idea what he's about to go through. Yeah, but you learn that lots of people have brought in things like uh, knives and swords and firearms and crossbows. Mm -hmm. So it's like, so, so some people have, may have more of an understanding of what is actually going on in here than others. Yeah. Which I found very interesting. I think so. Yeah. And I think those people 
were the people who were in there involuntary, weren't they? Ah, uh, yes, yeah, because um, Tremagazi is uh, manslaughter yeah. essentially. He's not. He's not an outright murderer. You find out that he he was manslaughtered in, in a very unfortunate way. <laughs> Through I, I, I thought that was fat, but uh, yeah. that for me was a bit of light-hearted uh, um, sadism. That I quite liked that. Yeah, but f- again, for me, it was a testament to the power of or, or the the quality of the writing and and the performance. Because normally, if somebody starts a story like he does, he doesn't just come out and say, "Oh, I threw a TV out a window and it killed an immigrant on the on the floor below on the the street below." Mm-hmm. He actually goes through a really long story yeah. about how he came to throw that telly out, and I was captivated by every word. Yeah. And for them, it was just a bit of conversation. I was like, "This is amazing! The yeah. writing and the delivery is outstanding." Yeah. So. Um, uh, T- Trimagasi, that that character I thought was brilliant and you know he reminded me even before we developed um further into the story he reminded me of Hannibal Lecter so oh, okay initially when I saw him sitting on the edge of his bed this kind of plump little man he reminded me of Hannibal Lecter so much and then as the story develops that just really came into it you see i hadn't made that connection but now you say it yeah he's very calm he's very purposeful with everything he says and everything he does and he has almost an air of wisdom about him but this is as you find out he's been in there for what uh he's in there for a year and i think that he was on month nine or ten when you first meet him yeah he said he's only got is it one month after the one he's in or something? Yeah, so when they wake up, I think he's on his penultimate. And then when they move, that would have been his last month, which, as you find out, he doesn't survive because they're right down on level 100 and something. Really low. Yeah, really, really low level. Yeah. Um, or high, depending on how you want to look at it, flaws or numbers. And... He ties he ties up um, Gorang because he manages to wake up before he does. But the reason being is there's no malice or hatred. It's like you're a young man. I've experienced the craving of hunger because I had to fast for a month. You will overpower me easily. So I'm going to tie you up and I'm going to feast off of you. I'm going to keep you alive as long as possible yeah. so you don't rot. Um, but for him, it was very much, okay, this is what I have to do. Yeah, There's no, no qualms. And I think that's where the, the Hannibal Lecter kind of character really, for me, developed further because um, he, he finishes and, or ends his sentences with obviously yes. throughout. Um, but it was, he was so normal. Everything was so real in, in his world. And I really liked that. I thought, you know, I, I found him one of the most believable characters yeah um he's been able to adapt to the situation he's in and he's just mm-hmm. accepted it yeah and everything was really straightforward um you know like when he ties him up and he explains why he's tied him up um he just does it in a really kind of matter-of-fact way and i i, yeah. I liked that i thought it was good i appreciate that as well there was no uh real drama to it it was like this is how it is and this is how it has to be if i'm going to survive this is what i have to do Mm-hmm. And you know, law of survival, you take the emotion out of it. That's what you're left with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which was brilliant. So his, the way that he managed to get out of that, of course, was um, as you're introduced to a character earlier on, you're introduced to a character called Miharu, who is a mother that's, as soon as she wakes up in her new cell, she kills her cellmate, and then she rides the table down looking for her, what we believe to be son. 
as we're told. And when it comes to day eight of the new cell, um, then Trimagasi has said that on day eight, I'm going to start cutting lumps out of you and I'll feed some to you, feed some to me, keep you alive, etc. And sure. as he's doing yeah. that, <laughs> oh, she comes down on the table and you see her again. And that's how he's able to escape because he was, I don't know, it was, it was almost an incredibly small act of kindness when they met the first time. All he did was acknowledge her existence, but that seemed to have been enough for her to leap off the table and kill, well, injure Trimagazi fatally, pass the knife to um, Goreng, and then he finished off mm. um, he finished off his, his cellmate, uh, Trimagazi, which I also thought was really poignant in the sense that he's finally made the shift from an observer who's trying to do the best to, no, he's killed a man now, and he is making that change from observer to survivor. And that change to survivor sees him um, gradually eat pieces mm. of um, Trimagassi as well. So we, we see him actually picking off of his body um, as, as the month goes on. We see it in this kind of montage um, as, it go, as it goes through. And um, that I think really, because we get some flashbacks as well where Trimagassi is kind of almost saying, I told you so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, no, no, I, I, I thought that was really interesting. Kind of the spirit of Trimagasi was still there. Well, he's um, he's talking to him. Uh, he he's he's an hallucination, isn't he? As mm -hmm. a, and, and he pops up uh, yeah. from time to time. As too does um, Imaguri when she passes, because when Trimagasi dies and they wake up in the new month, mm -hmm. um, this is where you get Imaguri as his new cellmate. Yeah. And they come together and they're back up on a higher floor. So things are a little better. And this is when she starts to try and convince everybody. But yeah, that, that initial transformation um, from going into Survivor, he seems to be taking these characters with him uh, and it adds to his transformation. And I love, I mean, I've, I've always loved that kind of thing, like the internal workings of the mind and how people might slowly go insane and what that might look like. So when this happens, I love it when, when they bring this in. It's like, okay, that character's dead, but he's kept him mm -hmm. and he's still conversing with him as he's going through this horrific thing that he's experiencing. Well, Trimagassi says, um, now, basically, now you've eaten me, I'm now part of you. I'm inside your body and I'm part of you forever. I think that's an interesting thing, isn't mm. it? Because there are... We're talking about religious groups around the world who actually do believe that you know they yeah. these cannibal tribes are, are, that have existed around the world, i don't know if they still exist but have existed yeah. before that's one of their their cultural beliefs um, i remember watching one of um oh man what's his name bruce bruce someone he did a series on television called tribe where he went and lived with a tribe for a month or so and he stayed with a group of headhunters. And that was really interesting because they explored that idea of when we eat the more powerful people so that we can become more powerful. And I think that's you know, a really interesting concept. I don't, I'm not saying I want to take part in that. No, but that's fascinating. <laughs> but it's an interesting thought process, which kind of carries on over into that kind of religious narrative that, that we had before. Um, it was Bruce Parry, a 2005 Parry. Document, uh, documentary called Tribe. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, so, uh, I was taught to film by um, Bruce Parry's cameraman. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a long time ago. Uh, but so, yeah. So, but anyway, amazing um, 
amazing series if you ever get to see tribe really worth seeing but it just it reminded me of that there the other kind yeah. of eating with the people and it, you put yourself in those in those shoes as well when you're watching this you go would i eat someone to stay alive exactly well, this is what know. i was constantly thinking is that how far would i go but it's one of those situations where you've no idea how you're going to react and in, in, in until you're ever put in that situation yeah. a bit um but i was like have I got it in me to eat another human being? Yeah. I mean, I'm a meat eater, but that's different. I'm not squeamish when it comes right. to seeing how my food is prepared and where it comes from, but another human being? And raw meat as well. Yeah. And there's some great, really fantastic close-up and medium shots of um, Chirmagasi cutting bits off and eats, putting them into his mouth. Yeah. And that imagery, you know, the close-up you've got of just his fingers going into his mouth with this... It looks like um, beef jerky, but kind ah, of yeah. um, before it's perhaps been um, processed. Yeah, yeah, cured. And so it's, it. um, it's putting it into his mouth. Oh, it's gross. It's so disgusting. But it's, it's very similar. I don't think this was intentional, um, but it's incredibly similar to the feasting scenes in something like a George A. Romero zombie flick. Yeah. It's like every single Romero flick you see will have a feasting scene and it's all up close and you're watching everything go in. And it's incredibly similar in the way that it's shot and the tone of the whole scene. The only thing it's lacking is blood because, of course, this is prepared um, food for them. Yeah. But when it gets to the human body, it's yeah, very, that very was, I, I, That was quite hard to watch, actually, mm. um, moments of that. Um, I didn't like that. Um, I really liked the introduction of Baharat. Um, uh, that, so Baharat turns up, so um, uh, Goreng wakes up in a new cell after, because we, we find out actually that Imagiri kills herself. Yeah. Um, Which in itself was fascinating because it's another character that he carries with him because he starts to see her as well as he eats her, um, his other he? mate hmm? he eats her as well yeah he, well he has no choice yeah so it's you know in that sense that was uh, that was unexpected i didn't see that coming at no. all but the um, reason being and i do apologize because it's just popped into my head one of the reasons is at this point um she tells you imaguri tells you that there are 200 levels and in their new month they wake up on level 202. Mm -hmm. So what I like about this is that you're constantly finding that there are more and more and more levels. Mm -hmm. And you, you believe her because she comes from outside. She's worked for this institution. You kind of, even though she doesn't know where she's sending people, she seems to have an idea of the, the scale of this. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, there are 200 levels. And then they wake up on level 202. And it's like, what? No, there's many more. It's like, okay. and, and then she, you know, she kills herself. It's like, she mm. kills herself. But he wakes up with uh, Baharat. And um, Baharat, I loved it when he says, going, uh, I'm on fire, I'm on fire, I'm on level eight. <laughs> is it level eight or level seven or something? I think it was like eight. That? Yeah, was it eight or six or something like that? Something like that. It was that. close. Oh, six. I think it was six because yeah. he, wanted to, he was going to climb the five levels. That's he's it. Got it was five, five levels away. Yes, he's got the rope and he throws, he manages to convince these horrible racist people above him. So Baharat's a yeah. black man and the people above him are awful. He throws his rope up and he's so excited. I love that line. I'm on fire. He's so excited. He's just <laughs> so, so great. He, he, he injects a level of energy back into the film um, that was potentially missing at this point. So it was really nice to have that because the previous two characters were very 
solemn, very calm, very leveled. This guy, full of energy. Loved yeah. him. Yeah. And so, anyway, he, he throws his rope up. The managers convince him. They, they take the rope. He, as he's climbing up, he gets just the point where he's going to reach up to them. And the guy on the level above drops his trousers and defecates onto his face, yeah. causing him to drop and drop the rope. And the moment you see him drop the rope, that absolute heartbreak in, in him, that, I really loved that character. I thought he was so good. Um, I agree, especially given that, I mean, he knows, and so do we as an audience, he will never be, unless he's incredibly lucky, he will never be that close to level one ever again. And his chances of escaping that way, um, are they're done. His yeah. entire goal and motivation has just disappeared, evaporated in a few seconds. Uh, but then uh, Goreng manages to convince, I'm sorry, I'm still trying to keep up with names here, Baharat, Baharat. that um, uh, they should do what Imagiri had said and yeah. section off the food. Um, but Goreng, Goreng has this idea that the first 50 levels are getting food. And if they ate yesterday, they can go a day of eight out eating. So yeah. they were going to portion off the food for level 50 and below um and they do that and they tear up their beds and they've got these like sharp spears and stuff like that and they go down yeah, and it's, it's it's from the um it's like the oh what do you call it um not the not the mattress but the actual bed itself isn't it they make massive the frame yeah the, the the big frame, metal thank you. frame yeah and they're, they're pulling off these just metal spears essentially aren't they um and they go down and they um you know, they have to fight off quite a few people because the people on those levels, and I could really empathize with the people who were on level six, seven, eight, nine, ten, yeah. who might have been on level 200 last month. They might have just eaten a human being for the last month. And all of a sudden there's this food and the food is delicious. The food could have its own show itself. It's yeah, that it's nice. Gorgeous. It's exquisite. And then you just understand these people being told, you ate yesterday, you're not eating today. Just being like, mate, I just ate a person for the last month. Yeah. I will eat if I want to. And then being fought off. Otherwise, you know, an interesting thing. Because let's face it, we're in that position. We're human beings. We're, we're you know. Of course. I mean, inherently selfish. Self, um, survival is built into us. Um, and, you know, we, we want to make sure that we preserve ourselves and that we continue. Mm -hmm. it, it is built into us. And so yeah. self-survival, yeah, 100%. So eventually they do go down and they're going level by level. Well, before they actually, yeah, sorry, carry on. My, my bad entirely. No, I was just going to say we go down past level 200. I was going to say, before, before, I don't know if it's before then, but we meet... Um, um, a character that Baharat knows called uh, Brambang. Yeah, okay. If you remember. Yes, I do. And I wanted to stop on that because at, the, at this point in time, they believe the best way to do this, to break the system, to break the chain, is to make sure that everybody gets fed, including the people at the lower levels, like all the way to the bottom. Due to a bit of quick maths, um, we know that there are more than 202 levels now, but uh, Gorang says that he's counted the, the rough time that it takes for it to get to the bottom. Like he can hear it and he's counted and he's, he's estimated there are about 250 levels. So they're trying to ration food for 250 levels now instead of the 200 or 202 that they thought it was. But on their way down, when they're basically telling it, right, you get in your corner and you stop eating this, that, and the other, they meet a character called Brambang and he convinces them of something quite different entirely. 
yeah. he, he convinces them that the best way to do this is not through brute force because you're not convincing people you're dictating to them. And as soon as that power disappears, they'll go back to how they were before. Mm-hmm. So you have to convince people that this is the best thing for them, which is what they, I think they try to do for what, one level. If I've counted, yeah. it wasn't very long. <laughs> no. Um, but they have the, they pick an, an item. Mm. Um, a, a panna cotta, I think it was. Panna cotta, that's it. And uh, that is going to be the message. So they are going to go down and uh, what was the man's name? The man in the wheelchair? Uh, it's uh, Brambang. Brambang. So Brambang says you need to send up a message, okay? Take one item down to the bottom and send it perfectly preserved back up to the top. So they preserve the cotta and as they're going down, the panna cotta is the message. And so I'm watching this with subtitles and it just keeps coming up on screen. The panna cotta is the message. Um, And my wife, Alice, was sitting next to me. She wasn't watching it. She was doing some work, but kind of just could see it in the background. And she just looked at me and went, what are you watching? (laughs) (laughs) The panna cotta is the message. Um, But I thought that was really good. So Bahara and uh, Goreng, they... um, they look after this as though it is as though their life depends upon it yeah yeah absolutely and so as it goes down um then they get to room three 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 i think Mm -hmm. and 333 because i thought that that had some kind of a deeper meaning which i never found well i Uh, wonder Say again. I thought about this. I wondered if it was halfway to hell. You see, I had the same thought. Six, like yeah. six, 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 three, right. three, three. You're only halfway, but they think yeah. it's the bottom because yeah. they don't see anybody and it stopped. And as they've previously established, if there's nobody alive on that level, it keeps going. Yeah. And so anyway, they, they get there, but all of a sudden it stops in room 333 and they can't understand why because for the last dozen probably mm. more levels they've just carried on through because everybody on that level has been dead but stops and they don't know why and then they discover a young girl hiding under the bed and i think that was a really interesting moment and she's clearly very hungry we don't really know how she survived she's a bit of a miracle really especially um, when you consider how clean she is it's like she looks like this environment has not touched her in any way yeah well interestingly so the the actor who played goreng he lost 12 kilograms in six weeks flipping it played this part he was working they were filming oh, i can't remember oh i think it was 10 hour days i read this there were 10 hour days wow for six weeks straight and he was basically starving himself the whole time to lose that just so that during that 12 so the 12 weeks of no six weeks of filming yeah see him becoming more and more gaunt and you really do you you, it's not a case of makeup he genuinely has lost that weight. i did not know that that's awesome Mm, yeah and you but yeah this this young girl who they believe is miharu's daughter Mm -hmm. not miharu's son which is what they initially believed um and at one point they didn't believe that at all um and then what is it um Goreng gets off the table because they think, oh, we're at the bottom. It's stopped. And um, Baharat is uh, telling him, no, get back on the table, get back on the table. And he comes off the table and they find, obviously, they, they get her out from underneath the, the bed that they're in or, or she's under, I should say. 
and then the table starts moving again. So not only is 333 not the bottom, um, it was only staying there to allow that girl to eat if there was any food left, but they also missed their opportunity to get to the bottom this time around because the table's moved on. And as is established earlier, it's about 15 feet from the hole in the ceiling to where the table would stop in the floor below. Um, and I think it was, what, one or two floors up? It could have been a, a great deal more. You see um, Miharu get murdered by the people on that floor. So mum's not coming anymore. Yeah. So I don't know if you thought, because I was a little bit confused at this point. Does that mean that, and just let me know what you think on this one. The, the young girl stayed on floor 333. Or, so she was always at the bottom. Or Miharu made that journey every day somehow to get the food to her. So how how I couldn't wrap my head around how that worked. Yeah, Maybe I don't know because so initially I figured that she must be traveling that elevator every day to get to the food to get to the bottom for her daughter. Um, but I don't know. That's not. It's not really explained, is it? And it's no. I don't it's think it's massively important, but it I was like it's almost that, irrelevant. Yeah, it is almost irrelevant because it's not the story that it's telling. No. Um, but it did bug me. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, so the next bit then where we kind of descend that last moment into mm. essentially what is actually the pit. Well, bah Baharat dies first off. Oh. So we have to, yeah. So it's, it's yes, yes, just yes. Uh, Goreng and the young girl. Um, yeah. Could because and they no they, longer have the panacotta. They've given the exactly. Panacotta they gave her the panacotta. Yeah. yeah, and uh, Baharat uh, and because, got an injury from a, a katana, a samurai sword, when they were yeah. trying to stop uh, Miharu from being murdered. Um, but that was ill-fated. They both came away with quite severe injuries, and um, Baharat bled out overnight. Um, so now the girl is the message. The panacotta is no longer the message. The girl yeah. is. And so Goreng takes her down and they go into this, into this black pit, um, which for me was just, um, that is hell. Yeah. An empty void. Nothing. Nothing there, there but darkness. yourself. Yeah. That for me was, it must have been hell. Must it not? Well, I think that that's certainly one way that you can look at it. And this is where I had to, I had to go online to, to read interviews with the director because there was a lot of confusion about the ending. People didn't get it. And I can see why. There's nothing tied up neatly in this, in this film. Now, what is interesting is that um, Goran gets off the lift or the, the table and the table does shoot straight back up um, with the young girl on it. In what we're given, you never see that girl get to floor zero or the reaction of the people on floor zero should she arrive. I really wanted that. But they did film that ending. You're joking. No, the director went on record. They filmed that ending, but they took it out because the director wanted it to be open to interpretation. Oh, I'm going to have to buy it on yeah. DVD now to get the director's <laughs> cut because I need to see that ending. I don't know if they'll bother putting it on there. That's the problem. Even though they filmed it, I don't know. You know, I mean, I wouldn't imagine that there was a tremendous amount of post work needed because uh, it's a very physical set. But yeah. Um, I don't even know if they'd even bother because the director wanted it to be an open ending. He wanted you to interpret it. Now, he said that there's obviously one of the 
the biggest kind of interpretations and, and one that he kind of falls in line with is the fact that Gorang is actually dead before he gets to the bottom. And what you're seeing of him getting to the bottom and having that conversation is completely just him passing on because he, he got to the bottom. Um, so it, you can't trust any of what you see because it's an interpretation of, of life after death. That's interesting. Which I think keys in directly to what you were saying in the sense that you get to the bottom of this pit, that is hell for you. Yeah. And that yeah. is a very uh, key kind of way of, of looking at it. And that's how a lot of people did interpret it is that Goring was dead before he got to the bottom. He never yeah. got to the bottom. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I don't want to say, again, I don't want to say I enjoyed this film. I really, really appreciated this film. I, I thought it was a f fabulous bit of filmmaking. Um, another film where the narrative has led over the visuals of the film. Really um, strong. I, I, I really liked it. Really liked it. I um, did not expect that. I'm not going to lie. I, <laughs> I was, I'd seen it. I hadn't seen it when we when I recommended it for this. I don't think, mm. um, but I've seen it three times now. <laughs> right. Okay. I, I've only seen it the once. Um, I'm. Pro I might watch it again with somebody who hasn't watched it, just mm. to kind of have this same conversation with them about the film. Yeah. Um, but definitely worth watching. I think. Yeah. All right. I mean, we. I, this is one of those films where I could literally sit here for three hours and go through it scene by scene. I mean, we're, we're trying to condense it into <laughs> what, an, an hour or so, um, but there's so much to talk about. And none of it, well, I say none of it, very little of it is the visuals because it's all about what comes through in the dialogue and the characters and their actions. Um, so I, I, I'm going to, this will be my summary then, I suppose. Go for it. Overall, um, I thought that, the, the the characters and the actors were incredibly strong. I thought they were really well written, incredibly well rounded, because you got to learn a lot about them with not actually going too much into their backstory. You got to understand their motivations. I really appreciated how small scale this was. Um, it, it was not a, a big, massive sci-fi masterpiece that people have tried to do before with this type of setup. You know, it, they've kept it claustrophobic and they've focused on the imagery and the characters over how this whole thing works. Because that was still something that sticks with me now. It's like, how, how does the, the, the table work? It's like, how is the girl alive? None of that really matters because it's about your interpretation of what's going on and what you bring to the film. Normally, I try and stay clear of what I bring to the film, but this film begs for you to bring your own interpretation, even with the open ending. So I think that's really important. And that this is one of those films where loads of people can watch it and all have a completely different interpretation, even though the film is set up so simply. I think for something like this to be able to do that is phenomenal. This is definitely one of those types of films that I actively go out and look for i love this stuff even with its um sort of i don't know gory undertones and and sometimes really unpleasant scenes to watch i love how it forces you to think about not only where you're living at the moment in terms of like society and the community that we have but also different bigger questions and for me a film this low scale that is able to invoke you to ask those questions is doing its job perfectly. So for me, I 
could not recommend this film enough. Um, my only proviso is without knowing the plot, I would try and understand what you're going to watch first because mm. it's not an easy film to watch, but I definitely recommend it to anybody um, who is looking for something like this. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm, I'm very, very similar to what you just said. Um, I recommend this, but with a caveat that if you are <laughs> of a nervous disposition, if you are not a fan of uh, gory graphic horror, um, give it a miss. There's not a lot of it, but what there is of it is, I think, quite disturbing. Film itself, in terms of storytelling, the narrative, the characters, it's faultless. Um, you know, the, this is the kind of film that gets passed by when we go to the Oscars and, and to you know, these, these big award ceremonies. And actually, the acting, the storytelling trumps most things I've seen from any major studio in the last 10 years. It was really impressive. Um, the visuals, you know, for a low budget film, there's been no expense spared. And because it was, it is so simple, but they've done it so well. Um, and I think that makes it a much more enjoyable viewing um, opportunity because what you're looking at does look like it could have been made by a Hollywood production company. Um, it's just, it's better told. Um, I, I do, I would recommend this film. I, I you know, I, I think that it's a, it's, if you don't watch it, it's a missed opportunity to see something really unique and very different. Love it. Absolutely love it. And the good news, obviously, is if you've got Netflix, given that this is now officially owned by them, it shouldn't be disappearing anytime soon. No, I wouldn't have thought so. Which is really nice. And yeah. so, yeah, 100%. Go watch it. Just go watch it. It's brilliant. Yeah, and I think today, I was, I was looking earlier, it's at number six or something. I'll just, is it? Um, yeah, it, it's done really well. So um, I'm hoping it might have jumped up to number five. But, but it, yeah, where are we? Because and it, it gives me hope to see films like this so popular. Um, number four in films today. Number four. Number four. There we go. Come on, guys. Come on. Um, because then it means that these types of films that I think are quite important are still getting made. Um, you go to the cinema at the moment, like independent or those middling budget films are really struggling. Uh, it tends to be either your massive multi-million dollar blockbusters or your super, super cheap Blumhouse productions. Mm -hmm. But everything in that middle section, which is where I would imagine that this would fall, is being ignored. Now, it's difficult yeah. um, to say where exactly it falls because Netflix are very cagey when it comes to the budget of films and how much a film actually is viewed and made and that sort of thing. Um, but it, I would imagine that this was again, probably somewhere in that middling region because it doesn't feel super, super cheap, although clearly with only two um, sort of boxes to, to work from and, and a little bit of CGI, it wouldn't yeah. cost a huge amount. I'm thinking the whole film was under a million dollars. You reckon? That yeah. low? Yeah. Oh. That I blows do. out the water everything I just said. Because I, I, I was thinking maybe, I don't, I don't know, it's more around the, like the, the 10 mark. Really, like, no, which I'm, is I, really cheap by today's. It by is today's absolutely, standard. but I think that when you look at what films can be made for, I think that mm. um, a million dollars is, is, I think, fair in terms of the, 
building of set in terms of the wages and all that sort of stuff. I mean, to be fair, if they, if they came out and said, yeah, this was only 750000 or a million dollars, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I, I thought it was probably a bit higher than that. But at the same time, the fact that this is getting the buzz that it is gives me a lot of hope for films of a similar caliber, but with no money behind it to get made. Um, because I love Marvel. I love some DC. I love all that stuff. But when I go to the cinema, it's like, I want to see something a bit different. I was one of those that were probably one of the only ones that went to the cinema to see Belko experiment. Um, and I absolutely love that film. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, so I, I seek these types of things out. One of my favorite films is a film called Napoleon Dynamite. Seen oh, I've it? seen that. It's a great right. film. Yeah. That film was made on $300,000. Um, and it was picked up by MTV. Love it. Um, who distributed it and turned it. And they've made over $100 million now. So oh, on $300,000 investment. Such a cult hit. Oh, yeah. Amazing. I actually love it. You know, when that first came out and it was on Netflix, Netflix offered, I think it was like $100,000 or something, if you could correctly put it into a genre like fit it into a genre where did that fit and no one could do it because it's such a weird film like what genre is it you have to create your own genre that's the problem isn't it yeah ah anyway um so yeah that is two recommends for the platform outstanding anything that you'd like to finish off with before we yeah just um this is um, podcast number three now, and we've got a bit of a ball rolling on it, which is great. Um, we're picking up lots of uh, views on YouTube, so lots of listens on Anchor, Spotify. Um, you know, share it. Let people know that you're listening to it. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please let other people know. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube. You know, hit us up, give us some feedback. We'd love to know your thoughts. Absolutely. One of the best ways that you can help us to do that as well, not only by all the sharing and, and commenting on posts and what have you, but when, because um, it will be hitting things like iTunes, it's already on Spotify, as mentioned by Andy, there's ranking systems on these things. So if you want to give us like a, a rank or a, a recommender of five stars and then just write a little bit about what you enjoy about it, that really helps us out to get seen amongst all these much, much bigger podcasts that are out there. So anything you can do is much appreciated. Andy and I started this because we enjoy talking about film and we're in isolation. So we're like, hey, we've got some free time. Let's do <laughs> <laughs> but this is definitely something that we'd like to continue once isolation is over and all your support really really helps love that well awesome. thank you so much for listening again really appreciate it all right that's a bye-bye from me everybody take it easy bye-bye from me <laughs>